Throw this down for a catch. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. Welcome to the Church in a Brewery podcast. This is the Chosen Retrospective Series, hosted by Nathan. Will you do us the honor, Rabbi? If that's where you keep the white sardines. Jason. Teacher, you have moved us all. John. Looks like we're not the only ones taxing the people. And Nick. It's the biggest pile of dung in all Capernaum. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we are literally gonna spoil everything. So make sure you've actually watched this episode before listening to this podcast. I'm on official business. Only Roman business is official business. Today we are discussing The Chosen, season one, episode six, directed by Dallas Jenkins. This is Nathan. This is Jason. John. Nick. All right, we're six episodes in. We've been going through every episode, just sharing our thoughts, kind of having a roundtable discussion. We all come from different backgrounds, so we have different religious beliefs, which makes it kind of a cool collaborative discussion. So the first thing we do usually is share what kind of beer we're drinking, because this is from Brewery Ministries. So it's only appropriate that we would have this discussion with a glass of beer. What do you guys got tonight? Well, actually, I have a, so you see the can, mm-hmm. coffee porter, I believe. It's from Four Hands Brewing in great city of St. Louis, Missouri. And the coffee they use is from a local coffee shop there, which is pretty popular. It's called Sump Coffee, which is kind of cool. So I've actually been to the coffee shop and the brewery both. So what the heck? My scene is at, I just bought one can. I buy a lot of like one can samples. Oh, cool. Today. So that's Four Hands, not to be confused with Left Hand, right? Yeah, Four Hands. Left okay. Hand, I think, is what? Colorado or someplace? What about you, John? I went with uh, Run Guys. Uh, I've got a Sunspun Shandy. <laughs> it's a little warm out. It sounded good. <laughs> Going with the uh, the homebrew milk stout. It's not mine. I mean, the smell is amazing. The initial taste is amazing. The finishing taste is a little bitter. But hey, it's free, so I'm going to drink the hell out of it, right? <sighs> awesome. Don't turn down free beer. Let's us yeah. walk best or something. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. I have I, I bought the cheapest stout I could find at this beer brothers store across the street, and it is called Certified Evil. <laughs> it's an imperial oatmeal <laughs> stout. Yeah, yeah, how appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> it's by Lucky Bucket Brewing from Nebraska. Uh, never heard of them. Probably the first Nebraska beer I've ever had. Wow. It's not bad when it warms up, but it is kind of bitter. So it's not my favorite. Usually like Imperial Stouts are like my jam, but uh, I would say this is an acceptable Imperial Stout. So that's what I got. I have a beer. It's called Demon Demon of Something Stout. I grabbed that. I said, no, I'm not doing it after this podcast. Do that later. <laughs> well, I picked this one just, well, one, because it was cheap. But I thought, man, I'll see if anybody gets a laugh out of this. But maybe I should get one of my favorite, I think it's a porter. One of my favorite beers that I've tried is called Son of a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> nice. Maybe I'll bring that next episode. 
Okay, so let's dive into this episode. I've pulled the plot summary from IMDb, which is like super short again. After witnessing the healing of a leper on the road to Capernaum, the friend of a paralytic takes desperate measures to get him through the crowd to meet Jesus. So obviously there's a whole lot missing there. The opening scene, we see maybe an ancient pawn shop. Seems kind of like an ancient version of payday loans. Kind of got the sense that this guy was maybe ripping people off a little bit. And we see a leper go in there. When he tries to hand this guy his tools, it is revealed that he has leprosy. And of course, the pawn shop owner kind of freaks out. So uh, what did you guys think about this scene? This kind of introduces the concept of being unclean and how people felt about leprosy and stuff. What are your thoughts? First off, it opened. This, this episode opened differently. Uh, and in, in the past episodes, you know, you've got some historical scene that they've shown. It's like some older scene. Uh, I think I want to say typically they've been from like, what, the Old Testament or something along those lines? Oh, yeah, this, flashback. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of the word. But this time, they just went right into it. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, unless he's immortal and he no. has leprosy. <laughs> Is that one of the symptoms? <laughs> I don't know. You live forever, but you're constantly rotting. This early Christian thing, the whole idea of you know, some of these diseases like leprosy, which it mentions in the Bible, any of those types of diseases, somehow you're unholy. I mean, the honest stuff guys obviously rip people off. I mean, that's pretty much what they do today. So, I mean, it's not really different, but totally just rigged out. He's like, why don't you just die and go to hell? I mean, it's just like they're taking it really to the extreme and he's out. I don't know. I just find that whole, just that early view of people when about any kind of health problem or anything that's not right about you that has to be because you're a sinner. Yeah, they kind of had almost a superstition about it. Like there were theological implications. Maybe they wondered if somebody had sinned and that's why they had leprosy. The concept of unclean was a thing that the Israelites dealt with. But if you did something bad, you had to go wash yourself and cleanse yourself. And that was supposed to be symbolic of washing that away. Well, it wasn't just sin that that applied to. It was also if you're sick and things like that. So that is interesting. I wouldn't think today we would think that like you did something bad and that's why you got the flu, right? Mm. Some people thought things like that back in that time. Actually, (laughs) I think some people still think stuff like that today, but it's interesting. If you have some unlucky occurrence or something or something, you're like some of these diehard Christians say that, well, you know, he lost his job or this happened. Well, he must have done something to make God unhappy with him. So, I mean, we still do do it to an extent. It's not that yeah. extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I also think that at that point in time, too, regardless of the, you know, religious implications that were in place there, they didn't know a lot about the disease. I mean, not to get too far ahead, but uh, in terms of don't get too close to him. It's airborne. You don't want to breathe his air. Don't come in contact with him. You know, it was a very scary thing to see somebody go through or to be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed pretty accurate, <laughs> I guess. Well, again, not to jump ahead, but are we confident he was a leper? I think I'm, so. I'm just going to, I'm going to drop this little nugget for a later on discussion. I'm just, are we confident in what he had? Yeah. Mm. That's an interesting. I think it really doesn't matter. I think it's just, I think this whole scene here is just, doesn't matter what he had. I think the whole scene is just kind of setting up that this guy had something 
and Jesus is going to heal you later on. I, mean, I think that's the whole purpose of this scene is just the yeah, exactly. It, up. it is important to note, I think, that in their minds, like if they touched this guy, they became spiritually unclean. Like it wasn't just that they might get the disease that he had, but in their religion, they would become spiritually unclean just by touching the guy. So that's kind of an important part to put in the back of your mind for the next time we see him in a few scenes. Does anybody know how leprosy was transmitted? Like, I don't know. They say don't breathe his air, but I don't know if it was air or touch or what. Isn't it a virus? I think it's a skin disease of some type or something. Yeah, it is a skin disease, but it's airborne. The Googles says airborne. Did the name of it change or does it just not exist anymore, really, on a widespread level? You have leprosy, you still have leprosy now. It's just you didn't do? Treat it. just... Oh. It's also called Hansen's disease. Like the band? Mbop. <laughs> leprosy is no longer something to fear. Today, the disease is rare and treatable. Most people not named John Purdy heal and are just fine. We <laughs> kind of established Onsop guy is probably ripping people off and he's greedy. Freaks him out so much that he doesn't even want to take the money back. So you're looking at this guy that's just ripping people off. He's cheap. He's like, just take the money, take it. That tells you right there how freaked out he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting what the guy with the leprosy is doing too, because I did some Googling just kind of reading about it. I should have written down where I got this, but one side I was reading said somebody who had leprosy had to ring a bell and shout unclean if anybody came near them. So... It's interesting that that guy's, instead of doing that and announcing unclean, he's just trying to keep a low profile. So he's sort of skating around what he's supposed to do. But I guess, how are you supposed to survive if you don't? I don't know. It's just desperate. I mean, he says he's he's given up his tools, which are like his, his last thing seems like he has. It's yeah. also unfortunate that the pawn shop guy implies that the tools were stolen, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the start of this episode, we don't know. These may be stolen. We don't know. And they come to find out, you know, this guy was like, you know, these are the last tools. It's like, oh, that kind of sucks. It's probably not something they wanted to pawn. They'd probably be worth more. Not just tools. You know, so it wasn't just tools. It was like high-end tools. I mean, because they, yeah. Yeah, so the guy thought he was a mason or something. Got this high-end set of tools because he's going through all these different woods coming from all these places and all that. But I think it's important, too, to denote that like jason said they're not just tools that's how he made income that was his means to income and by giving those up i mean he's basically at his wits end where he can't go down that path anymore that trade that skill that he's acquired over several years he doesn't have that option and is so desperate that like i have to sell these i didn't catch that so he basically can't make you know, money anymore if he pawns these? You gotta be not, pretty desperate. Yeah, not not through his trade or his craft. Maybe he had like some great value brand tools. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably a mason or something to some extent. So his leprosy probably pushed him out of that. Yeah, yeah trading those in, you put the stopwatch on your, your life kind of at that point. Yeah. It's, it's all you got. Well, what are you gonna do after that? I mean, is this guy just planning on dying? Uh, resorting to more sinful things, right? <laughs> he said he was going to the Dead Sea, so I was kind of interested oh. in that because Dead Sea apparently at that time frame had some kind of healing factor. 
to it. So I'm not sure if he was going to the Dead Sea. He thought Jesus was there. Or he's going to the Dead Sea because he thought he could bathe in the sea and get healed. I wasn't going to clear on that. That's why I took it because I think people thought because it has such high salt content, I mean, it can kill a lot of bacteria and stuff. So I took it like he was going there to bathe in it to see if maybe it would heal him. The shopkeeper almost seemed to have like a religious reaction to that, though, where his response was um, nice to meet you, pilgrim. He called him a pilgrim. I don't remember exactly what he said. Like he, he was on his this religious journey to get there. That's interesting. You think the shopkeeper was religious? Or you think the shopkeeper just being he's, what he's doing, he just is familiar with those types of people coming through? Smart mouth. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely just seemed familiar with the people that, that come through there. Mm-hmm. I took it like he was sort of like the Pharisees, but different. I mean, I thought maybe he's a Jew, but he's, you know, he's a schemer at the same time. So I don't know. He's definitely skating the rules of whatever his faith is. So speaking of which, you want to go on to the next scene where we see Nicodemus reporting about his interview with John the Baptist to the other Pharisees. So this was a really interesting scene to me. I liked it because the Pharisees are often just painted as a bad group, like they're all evil. Well, I liked to see some disagreement within them because you see here, like, they're not all bad. They're trying, some of them are trying to do the right thing. And there's actually debate within them. And I think that's kind of a more accurate portrayal of groups today. I mean, they're not all bad or all good. They're a mix. Some groups are more corrupt than others. But it seemed like at this point, they cited against having John the Baptist prosecuted. What did you take from this debate here? Definitely thought it was interesting. I'm liking Nicodemus more and more. I really didn't like him at the start of the show. Uh, (laughs) But as the series goes on, I like the fact that he's like, pump the brakes here. Like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's think through this. And even with his student that ended up being the cause of John the Baptist being in prison, instead of, you know, blatantly chastising him in front of all these other Pharisee leaders. He's just like, I'll talk to him. We'll handle Mm -hmm. this. He deals with business in a way that I I have a lot of respect for that. I took it that Nicodemus sees that there's something in John the Baptist, you know, because he's obviously questioning his faith and he's seeking. I think when he had that meeting with them, I think he tricked them. I mean, he went in there. He's trying to protect John the Baptist. He's like, you guys, by arresting him, you guys more or less gave this guy validity. And he goes, so you took this person who's nobody and you had him arrested. One, you got the Romans involved in our affairs. And two, now you just gave this guy validity when he's nothing. You should just go ahead and release him. And I think just who Nicodemus is, the teachers of teachers, they were listening to him. And so I think he didn't really believe what he was saying. He's just saying what they want to say, get John the Baptist out. I think mm-hmm. in essence, he tricked him. Yeah, he wasn't totally honest, I guess, because he said some things that, You can tell in this episode, Nicodemus has come around to what John the Baptist says, but he doesn't tell the other religious leaders that, which is interesting. He's still trying to maybe figure it out. I I don't know. Well, that and it would be scary because if the other religious leaders didn't accept him, then he would be a heretic. So potentially his life's in danger. Isn't that kind of scary? Like you don't believe something your church teaches 
and they kill you. Like, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and again, not to get ahead, but I, I really liked how John said, like, Nicodemus was like, I'll, I'll handle it. Like, I really liked the scene where he does handle it. I really liked that discussion. Where I, won't, I won't jump ahead there, but I just thought all of that, that was a good way of showing that maybe, I don't know if the show did this on purpose, but like you said, that not all of these Pharisees were bad, you know? It, it, it was it was unique, uh, I think, from my little bit of experience. I think it was unique to see that. Nicodemus talks to a student, though, in a later scene, doesn't chastise him for doing yeah. wrong, which is more or less what he kind of presented to him there when he had that counsel. Instead of chastising, he's more trying to convince him to come around his way, where he's kind of doing it subtle. Like, he, there, there might be some different interpretations, and let's not read the scripture so quick. We don't know. And so he's... He's on that line. He's trying to play both sides. He's trying to not get himself killed, but he's also trying to his mind kind of changed a little bit. I like the the stance he took. The way I kind of interpreted or thought about this was: is it Judaism only follows the Old Testament? The New Testament doesn't exist. So, mm-hmm. kind of a similar to what he was saying, like if you look at the the Jews, they only follow Judaism. But if you only believe and see and think that what's going to happen is written in the book, then things may pass you by. You may not be open to new occurrences, new whatever. Not necessarily that they're wrong, but you know, you could just miss something. So, like you said, this one, there were those four or five books that you know that certain sect of individuals followed, and you know, if they only follow that, they could miss other things. And so, Nicodemus is saying, "Hey, you know what? Sure, we have what's written; it's historical and it's fact, but let's keep our minds open." You know, mm-hmm. and like you said, he's kind of toeing the line to say, "You know, maybe there's something. There's something you should be interested in." Did you catch that he says something like, uh, John's baptism is not our baptism? In the Old Testament, they had cleansing. Like, like we mentioned earlier, if you, if you sinned or something, you were supposed to go wash yourself, and that was symbolic of being cleansed. Well, he draws a distinction between what John's doing and their tradition of cleansing. He says, oh, that's not, that's not what we do. And I, th- I thought that was interesting because uh, there's a big debate about baptism. It'll come into play next episode, I think. Just to point out, like, they're drawing that there's a difference between John's baptism and the Old Testament concept of cleansing, which I think at this point, I mean, the leper, I don't know if that's part of why he's going to the Dead Sea or what. But if I skip ahead just a little, technically, when Jesus touches this guy and heals him, Jesus would have to go cleanse, and he doesn't. So that's very interesting. Hmm. Is there anything major in this Quintus Matthew scene here? I thought it was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> His inter- the interactions between Quintus and Matthew, I, I think, are probably one of the most humorous things about the entire series. <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought it was completely hilarious. And again, it really goes back to reiterate, you know, Jason pointed out on episode one that Matthew's got something going on with him, you know, whether it's autism or OCD or something, or it could be a combination of things. There's something there. And I think Quintus even makes a comment about it in the scene about his oddities or, but yeah, I Absolutely love that scene. <laughs> yeah. That was Nick that pointed out the oddness and stuff that was at OCD or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I kind of like that scene there. I think when you look at, at Quintus, 
you know, he likes Matthew. He just likes Matthew just because he's so odd. So it just kind of like entertains him and stuff. So, he, I mean, he, he favors him to some extent, you know, and he just kind of likes listening to him. I noticed, though, is he's got that senator's son coming with the entourage. And so you kind of see Quintus is like, you know, hey, hey, he talks about his life. He goes, one father gave him everything, one major father worked, and now I'm like higher up than he is. And so, you know, Quintus is trying to show how big he is. And so he kind of, as a test run, asked Matthew what he would do. And so Matthew's like, well, I wouldn't tell him I conquered. I'd show him what I'm building. And he looks mm-hmm. like, why didn't I think of that? And so he goes, okay. <laughs> I mean, he does. respects a little bit. Matthew's thinking, but he also realized Matthew's kind of odd, too. So he just, I think he likes that. I think he really likes Matthew. This is, he's so different. I like he goes, uh, he goes to start getting ready, or Quintus does, and, and uh, Matthew's just kind of standing there, and he's just, you know, going on. And I, it's like five or ten seconds that passes, and then he stops, and he turns around, and he's like, you guys would have just kept standing there, wouldn't you? <laughs> I love it. Kind of um, promotes Gaius, but he also kind of insults him at the same time. Kind of it's got that arrogance about him. He's like, ain't you people German? You know, then he goes, oh, I, I just paid to give you promotions. So I mean, because he's all happy with him. But he also made him look good because he said this is the first time that we actually pull in more money than what Pilot was asking. So his mind is, I'm looking good. And mm-hmm. So he's the guy's a real ambitious guy. You can kind of see there. Yeah, he's like, didn't your didn't your people surrender? And he's like, you mean join the winning side? Yeah. It's like, ooh, yeah. Tried to put that dagger in, and he's like, no, 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 man. We just joined the winning side. So I'm not perspective. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We surrendered. Nah, man. We joined the side that won. I was watching this scene with a friend, and he was like, I don't understand why some of these scenes are in here. He thought it, they could have been cut out. So I started thinking. I think they probably serve a purpose for later on down the road. Like we see here, Quintus basically says, we'll have a long time to unravel the mystery of why you're not a stain on a cartwheel. So to me, it seems like, oh, he's got long-term plans for Matthew at this point. And you can kind of see when Matthew's like, I would show him my plans for infrastructure. You know, Quintus is like, unbelievable. And he just like freezes for a minute. So even though, yeah, even though he thinks Matthew is kind of odd, he also thinks he's a genius. So I think he's planning on keeping him around for a while. It's almost like he wants to exploit him. And yeah, yeah. I got that vibe in a lot of ways that that's really what Quintus is good at, is exploiting people for his benefit. He made another comment about Simon and Andrew paying their taxes and how he works well under pressure. And he could, uh, what did he say? manufacture a situation to put them under additional pressure down the road so that that seems to be kind of like his talent base he's constantly looking for people that can be used i think more and more we go we kind of humanize quintus a little bit this scene we got to learn a little bit more about him do you think he's i agree with john he's using people i think the guy is incredibly ambitious he wants to move up in the ranks he's going to do whatever he can to do that but you're starting to see i mean he talks about his father that that's going to serve a purpose later on. I mean, you are humanizing him a little bit. We're getting to know this character a little by little by little. I mean, sitting here talking about it, we know that he's an ambitious guy, and not just going the line for the for the Romans. He wants to move up. So, I, like you said, I think later scenes, or at least you know later on, that's going to serve a purpose. Yeah, it says something like he had to work for everything that he had, but his friend had everything handed to him. Yep. So, yeah, that's probably supposed to tell us something about him. I also wondered, okay, so I know ultimately Matthew's probably going to drop what he's doing. He's going to go follow Jesus around. 
So what's that going to do to this relationship between him and Quintus? And is Quintus going to be like, where'd he go? Is he going to be ticked? Is he going to go after him? Is it going to contribute to the Romans heat on Jesus? I don't know. So I'm, I'm curious to see where that's going to go. So that whole thing with Matthew also kind of interesting. I mean, he's a logical guy. And so he sees these miracles and stuff, having fish and all that, but he just can't in his mind explain it. He asked, you know, Simon and Andrew if he was tricked or not. Like, why would you, you ain't going to listen to our answer because you don't believe yourself because he knows he wasn't tricked. And so, I mean, this guy is someone who takes every angle. It's just interesting. I think that, that yeah. dynamic is his way of thinking. It, it baffles me that he's telling his reporting of what he saw. And Gaius, I believe, is like, yeah, you, you, were, you were tricked or, you know, there was some, some subversion that, yeah. yeah. But like Gaius, but at this point in time, has to know that Matthew, yeah, for, for as odd as he is, he is a very smart individual. And if he is sitting there telling you that he is confident he did not see any trickery or any shenanigans or tomfoolery, you should probably take that seriously. Like something's there. And for him to just be like, oh, no, you're, you know, whatever, you're, you're wrong. You didn't see anything. It tricked you. Uh, okay. It's, I don't know. It didn't fit for me as far as like kind of the plot line. I, I, I would have expected him to take that a little more seriously. But, that is interesting. Uh, yeah. Don't you think the Romans are going to, when Matthew leaves, I mean, they're going to feel a little bit, fade a little bit. Because if you look at the, this meeting, it was Gaius, the one who's actually protecting every day, relationship there. When they talk to each other, and you get, by the time you get to Dominus, the relationship there. So I think the time of Matthew leaves, they're going to feel a little bit betrayed or something. I wonder if we're seeing so much of Gaius because he's going to be one of the soldiers that crucifies Jesus later or something. We've got to try to figure out if we've met the soldier that stabs Jesus or not yet with a spear, I don't know. Wait, it's, it's no, you know, he that, that promotion. Yeah. You know, they're going to have that confrontation in the garden right before the crucifixion. Well, there's going to be some sword fighting. So I don't know. Wait, they think they have it. Thomas just gave him a promotion. Didn't you see there? Even so. Yeah. yeah. I bet you. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. They know, or they believe they know who stabbed Jesus. No, there's just, I don't think there's a name given. It just says Centurion or Soldier or something like that. Soldier number one in the credits. So I'm wondering if they're building a story around that soldier fan fiction almost, you know? I think for me, if, if that's if that's what they're doing, while that's a cool, interesting little arc there, for someone like me who's trying to, you know, learn and grow from this on a spiritual path, that's a little too much liberty. Mm. I, I don't know. From an entertainment standpoint, I get it. From mm-hmm. an educational storytelling standpoint, though, that's a, that's a good bit of liberty you're taking there. Yeah, I guess so you I, don't want to confuse facts with fiction, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe they thought, oh, there must be more backstory there. But I don't know, man. Maybe Gaius is just a made-up character who's always going to be a protagonist. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I think on the writers, if that's what it turns out to be, I mean... People writing the series, you actually, I mean, they're playing this thing out long term. While we're thinking about that, I wanted out of a series like this, I'd like to see some people who see the evidence and they see some of the miracles or they know Jesus, but they don't believe because I think that's more realistic. I wouldn't want to see the show like everyone who comes in contact with Jesus converts because that's not what happens in real life necessarily. So, you know, it's an interesting conversation. Why is that? Why did Quintus dismiss Matthew's testimony? 
why does Matthew not trust himself? At this point, you start bringing in the concept of different people need different levels of information to believe something. And so you've got that concept, which is why it's fun to follow Matthew. But finally, in this episode, we get to see some people who see Jesus do a miracle and yet reject him. And I think, well, one, that's what was written in the Bible. So it's it's accurate of that, but it's kind of real life, right? A lot of people see the same thing happen and they're not going to come to the same conclusion. I mm-hmm. think it's an interesting debate. We're always seeing miracles like that. I mean, me see people here in leprosy or making people walk. I don't think so-called miracles today or so i said are we sure he had leprosy Hmm. that is an interesting thought i'd never really thought about that before i mean from a practical standpoint not to get too deep off path here it is entirely possible that there are practical things that like jesus was a part of that well to the outside or or non-focused eye looked like miracles but whatever or whatever you know curing the paralyzed what they call a paralytic Mm -hmm. the paralyzed man let's just use present day nomenclature here you're healing that guy i mean uh, maybe he had some sort of virus that knocked out his ability to walk and it just so happened at that moment in time jesus gave him the willpower and you know mind over matter and hey look i feel better the placebo of jesus believing in me and touching me i could stand up oh my god you healed me well really we just gave you the mind power to try and overcome your sickness and, and okay you go back to the, the leprosy that one's harder. That one's much harder. Because, I mean, leprosy is a pretty obvious thing, I would think. Mm-hmm. And if the way the story goes, you know, all of the spots and everything disappeared, oh, okay. Are you sure it wasn't mud and you just took a shower and it went away? I don't think that's the case. But So that one's harder to explain. But I don't know. That's that's where for a person like me who's you know trying to understand and learn this, that's where the the concept of faith and believing comes into play. That's that's the part where I, I got to work hard to buy it's the in. Supernatural debate. Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. It is hard. Totally different approach that I thought you were going to say. You sure it wasn't all staged? I thought that's the route ah. you were taking. So. I, I like to think that Jesus was not the biggest con artist in the history of the world. <laughs> There's a, a series that the church I attend plays. It's called Alpha. If you get a chance, YouTube it. It's actually pretty interesting. But regardless. Uh, one of the statements they make says that either Christianity as a whole is, you know, one of the most uh, unbelievable, outstanding, amazing things that's ever happened, or it's the biggest hoax in the history of the world because of the number of people that have bought in and, 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 and believe. You know, just sitting back and thinking about either side of that being true was just wild. I think that brings an interesting debate and an interesting topic when it comes to mankind. I think sometimes religion is acceptable because I think man wants to believe that there's part of something here. So there's, whether it's Christianity or the Romans believe or any religion, there's hundreds of different religions. So we feel like we need to be part of something instead of, hey, we're just here by ourselves roaming around. And the government confirmed the existence of UFOs. Just saying. Yeah, but how do they define UFO? Russians? Exactly. <laughs> just an unidentified flying object. Did so- not say alien. Anyway, we digress. We don't get much backstory on this guy. I've heard some friends say, well, what if this was just a guy who they brought in who wasn't really paralyzed? If you ask that question about this story, it is tough to figure out because we don't know anything about this paralyzed guy. There is a similar story 
I wish I could remember what chapter is, but if you look up, there's another paralyzed guy who had been laying by a pool, like a famous place for 38 years. Well, that guy got healed too, according to the Bible. So I thought about that one. Okay, that'd be a lot harder to stage or fake because everybody knew this guy had been paralyzed for that long. They, they would have known him. So if, if you're looking for some way to find some evidence, that story is a little more helpful if you're trying to work through doubt about the supernatural because there would have been witnesses. But bringing a guy that we don't know anything about that particular story doesn't give us as much help in working through that skepticism. But I don't know if you guys don't know my background, I really struggled with the supernatural for a long time. So I can understand where you're coming from. Would you have the physical capabilities of walking after being paralyzed for 38 years? Yeah, I you wondered that. I'm a- like, these are brand new muscles. <laughs> like boom, atrophy or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His legs are like the size of my finger. Yeah. But like even no this muscle. guy in the show, I'm like, this guy can walk up to being paralyzed. And so I'm just kind of curious when you read those stories like this one. Okay, so in my mind, Jesus is out in some field someplace. It wasn't in someone's house. I don't know what you guys thought when you were thinking in the of these stories. Oh, okay. Jesus loves playing in fields. We we've already established that. The first episode we see him playing in a field with kids, and now he's playing in a field with a leper. I mean, Jesus is developing an interesting track record here. I'm just saying. <laughs> Why don't we jump to the field scene? We've got two things to talk about here. We see Simon talking to the other disciples, and he seems to be having an identity crisis of sorts. And we also see the leper show up. Man, I want to hear Purdy's take on uh, the curing and the healing and the the paralyzed and the leper and the supernatural. Though, disclaimer, I, I do want to throw this out there. I lived with this man for I don't know how long, and he brought a Ouija board into my house. Here's the thing. I don't know where I stand on ghosts or anything along those lines, but I draw the line with like antagonizing. Busted. <laughs> it, it, I, I don't care if they exist or not, but if they do, don't play with it. Don't bring a Ouija board inside of a person's home. Anyway, Purdy, the floor is yours. I believe in heaven and hell. I believe in God and Satan. And uh, I don't believe that miracles currently happen today. And I don't believe in ghosts and all Mm -hmm. that so that's as simple as i can put it for you nick (laughs) so i'm gonna bring a ouija board and i'm gonna test or tempt fate because you know that's worth it so if if you don't believe in miracles today do you believe in them at this time of the story yeah because i believe that god's capable of all things and i think jesus was the son of god so through him i think all things were possible Okay, stop reading the company line down there. (laughs) Transparency. Someone's just reading the first couple pages of the intro to the Bible. Jeez. It's a little bit different than you guys, I guess. I actually don't believe in miracles. So I'm not 100% convinced of the ones in the Bible are miracles. I kind of follow, I guess, Thomas Jefferson. He doesn't believe in miracles either. I think modern day stuff, sometimes people say it's a miracle. You know, this person got healed. They had a car crash. They were in the hospital. Yeah, but modern medicine helped out a lot, too. I think sometimes things are just chance by chance. Things happen. Uh, convinced. I completely agree with you on Miracle modern thing. day. Modern day, at least. Yeah. I do think that if there's documentation of them being performed, I think it's possible Jesus could have done those things. And again, if we're talking about a God that 
could create everything from nothing, then why couldn't he? <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of where I'm at on it. But I, I don't think they happen today. I'm kind of a mix. I certainly believe Jesus actually performed miracles. Today, it's like I still believe in them, but I think they're rare because I think, you know, God, if he can make a universe from nothing, he's fully capable. The difficulty is I don't see very many. I have had a couple stories I've heard that I think might be a miracle. I also believe some things that happen are coincidence. I'm not somebody who thinks that everything that happens is orchestrated. I put a pretty high value on free will. So I think God both intervenes at times, but also lets humans play things out a lot. Now, the hardest part for me, which maybe later in the show, if we're podcasting on when this stuff happens, the early church, Jesus passed on his ability to do miracles to those followers. The difficulty for me, I don't see anyone performing miracles today. And the ones that have, I had a paralyzed vocal cord for a while, and I still have some struggles with it. I had multiple people tell me that they healed my vocal cord and it was not healed. (laughs) So (laughs) I just don't know what to make of it. Like more people have told me that they've healed me and I wasn't, and no one's ever actually healed it. So I don't think God can't do miracles or doesn't. I don't think he's, my opinion, they could still happen, but I just think they're rare. And I, I don't know what to think about whether or not he heals through people anymore. That is a mystery to me. What's those, what's those charismatic, I guess they are. I used to work with the lady. She was a charismatic Christian and mm-hmm. she was convinced of miracles. And she used the example, her sister couldn't get pregnant. They were trying for a couple of years and they had this, Together and they prayed, and then next thing, boom, she's pregnant. It's a miracle. I was like, oh, that's not a miracle. I mean, it just happens. I mean, there's no guarantee that you know, you're going to just get pregnant wherever you want to get pregnant. I mean, realistically, it's not something that's testable. You know, it's hard to verify if it's a miracle or if it's a coincidence. So I, I understand what you're saying. I think, I mean, it's not in this episode, but I mean, was Mary was, she was a virgin who got pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. That's wild, right? Imagine someone walking up to you. I'm a virgin and I got pregnant. Man, the line of jokes I'm going to crack are going to be insane. Did you know <laughs> hundreds of women claim that every year? Yeah. The mm. average age of them I is can't. like 19. I can't. Yeah, I was about to say, I got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I did a study on the virgin birth and that's what I discovered. <laughs> well, I did find the scene with the leper pretty moving personally. And that whole concept of if Jesus touches this guy, he becomes unclean in Jewish belief. He just does it anyways. And everybody's freaked out. I mean, if he really did have an airborne illness, how did Jesus not get it? And he just goes right up there and heals this guy. So for multiple reasons, like the miracle is interesting, but what does it mean that he didn't get it? And what does it mean that you know, this is the guy who's supposed to be the epitome of the Jewish law. And he basically breaks the law by touching this guy, because you're not supposed to touch a leper. So I, I always wondered how that fits into, like, you know, it says Jesus came to fulfill the law, but there's certain points where I think he broke it. 
maybe that's not exactly breaking it. Maybe it's the, they say the spirit of the law. I mean, well, you're not going to help this man because the law says not to. Maybe that's what's going on here. Establishing a new law is yeah. kind of how I, I look at it. It's not necessarily, he's there to bring about a change and changes to the old law, the old sacrifices, the old tithing, the, those things that had to be done in a very rigid, stringent way. His teachings are all about, hey, we're rethinking this. Next time That's I get good. pulled over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. Hey, I'm just reestablishing the law. You say it's 35. It's definitely 50. I'm just reestablishing what should be. Depending right. on where you're driving, that that's the way things are going right now. So, <laughs> I, I think I think I can have problems with that terminology when you say law. I have kind of issues with that because I I don't think that these people are too worried about breaking the law. I think they really think that if they touch this guy, they're going to get leprosy. I mean, they're pulling their knives out, and, you know, getting real serious about it. So, I think we we truly have that belief of fear that kind of speeds, I guess, we say law in some of these traditions. I've seen this scene also when he heals a leper. I was thinking, cat's out of the bag. I mean, because he was trying to be secretive about his stuff. I was like, mm-hmm. it's out. And so it was kind of, you know, that the Egyptians is definitely going to say something. He tells him to, be, to keep it a secret, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he says, go home, don't say anything, go to the temple, show the priest, make an offering. Yeah, yeah sure. Sure, I'm going to do that. Well, actually, he doesn't in, in the Bible. He goes and tells everyone. We don't get to see that part, though. Not surprising. Back to the thing you said, you're you calling it law, and it's something we spoke about, I don't know, maybe first or second episode, you know, the concept of God's law versus man's law, mm-hmm. right? Touching a leper is probably not God's law, right? Touching a leper is probably a man's law thing because it's self-preservation, trying to not spread this disease. Joke's on them, it's spread through the airborne. Man, I've been trying to figure that out. I was trying to figure out, okay, so they had all these Old Testament laws. Were they all actually from God or were some of them added on or man-made and i've heard people say it was a mix but i'm having trouble verifying for sure but yeah that's that's an interesting concept like you don't really think god wants somebody to just suffer and die alone do you what do you guys classify as a law first of all i mean you shouldn't play with lines not the law says that self-preservation tells me that you said that's man's law well i guess the jews had their own law and their existing within Roman society. So there's like law, like United States law. And within that, they had religious law and they could potentially execute people. Yeah, I see what you're saying though. When it comes to this leopard thing, I don't think this is a law. I think there's a fear there. Like you just, there's a fear that you're not going to walk up and put a bed of lion. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to this leper, I think it's, it falls down the same line. It's not a law telling them to do it. I think in their mind, they're really scared. If they touch this guy, they're going to get leprosy. Wait, is it a... It's more self-preservation than it is actual abiding by law. It's a touch mandate, like a mask <laughs> mandate, only a touch mandate. It's not a law. It's a strict, strict suggestion. I know there was a law that if you did touch one, you had to go wash immediately. But I should look that up. The law should be if you touch someone. Yeah, it goes you back to, I mean, it goes back to the COVID thing. I mean, the law says you're supposed to wash your hands and stuff after and stay six feet away. You don't get COVID, but I think the real fear there is that you're afraid to get COVID. So you're putting these laws in place, so you, these things don't happen. Right. So, I mean, you wouldn't walk up and one that has COVID to go up and give him a French kiss. I mean, there's no law that says I'm not to do that. I mean, it goes back to self-preservation again. I'm not going to. I was accepted. 
I have to look into that a little bit. French kissing someone with COVID? <laughs> no. No, the whole uh, leper cleansing thing. Did you notice? Well, first of all, you've got one of the disciples that wants to like, you know, gets his knife out, basically wants to fight this guy. I thought it was interesting that Jesus sent Simon away right before this. I wondered, is it because Simon probably would have killed this guy? I don't know. The guy who gives the leper his shirt is the same guy that pulled the knife out. I wondered if that's redemption of some sort. Hopefully in his mind. Yeah. Don't you think it's interesting, like some of the stuff we see in this episode, Jesus recruits these guys, they're religious, and like they want to stab people, or like they really struggle to want to help people, like in some of the upcoming scenes. I like it because I think it's realistic, but it's interesting, isn't it? Especially like when they're in the house and was it Simon there at the back door? And he's like, uh, it's getting a little crowded. And uh, his brother, I forgot his name, looks looks around. And he's like, ah, they're just company. They're neighbors. They're fine. He like, points to the front door and he's like, oh, ooh, yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah, they want to help people, but like, oh man, okay, that's too many people. Mm-mm. Yeah. I think Simon is having a little bit of a crisis here because I got the sense in this episode that he didn't know what he was doing. Like if he's not going to be doing what he normally does or protecting people, he's kind of lost. So in that scene when he's singing, I think we're supposed to take that he's not a good singer and he's just trying stuff, but it's either new to him or it's not really him. And then he can't find a job. He goes, checks on all these people. You know, I, I think he's dealing with not understanding his place. And then finally, at the end, he gets to lead them down that path. I found that interesting. But at this point in the episode, were you guys like feeling he was very awkward or something was off? I guess I didn't catch that. I thought he was just playing his protector role. I mean, Robbie's the Bible, I kind of look at his time and soul purpose. I kind of think the apostles all have a role by Jesus picked them. Mm-hmm. I think Simon's sole purpose is protector and bodyguard of types. Yeah, I think you're right. What about uh, the scene at the house? We've got everybody starting to come to the house because they want to hear Jesus talk. The most interesting thing I thought at the beginning here is Jesus won't reveal his lineage. He's actually a descendant of King David. I think they know that the Messiah they're waiting for is supposed to be a descendant of King David from the tribe of Judah, all this stuff. So they start trying to ask him this stuff, and he won't tell them where he's from or like what his lineage is. Did you think that was interesting? He tells them something, right? Yeah. He asked them like, why would you guess Judah? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Very Nicodemus answer. Yeah. <laughs> I like the, they're like, where, where were you from? He's like, Oh, Nazareth or whatever. They're like, Oh, wasn't that the place where they killed everyone two years younger and under? I wanted to be like, yeah, man, they were looking for me. Like I wanted him to say that like, yeah, guilty. That's my fault. But he obviously that's not his character. But that would have been a pretty pretty nice little play in there. They missed me. So they got to this crowd gathering, this big crowd. The Romans start getting all freaked out. I mean, I sends Matthew home, and so just three of them show up. Did you guys notice that only three Roman soldiers show up? I'm thinking to myself, I'm in charge. I'm thinking about twenty at least. I'm going down there and you know I'm taking. Come on, get a, get a little extra money and get a couple more soldiers. You're I'm going to that. <laughs> that's a good point. I guess it wasn't a huge crowd, but I guess they didn't know why they were gathering yet. Hey, John, John, do you remember at lunch in high school 
there were a bunch of people gathered in a in a circle in the commons and all the teachers freaked out because people were chanting fight and when they got to the center of the circle it was two students doing a thumb war yeah i do <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> they, were doing, they, were, what were they, doing? they were just having a thumb war like they got a bench <laughs> and there's just two guys and they got a whole circle around them people that chant fight and those teachers panicked man <laughs> wow well, sometimes i wonder if we went to the same school <laughs> i didn't see much except in glidden's english class where we got to yeah. talk about predestination oh yes good old glidden what about the nicodemus scene with Schwell. What about this? This is like one of my favorite scenes that I've seen so far. The non-chastising scene, right? Yeah. Where yeah. he brings him in there and he says, will you read to me from Isaiah? <laughs> I liked it. And then he's like, he starts reading. He goes, no, no, no. Farther down. Mm, okay. All right. He looked I, pretty I kind of, sheepish. <laughs> I've kind of already told my thoughts on, on this section, but I, I, I just thought this was, this was interesting. I thought, the way Nicodemus, you know, played this out, it was just, it was very, uh, I don't know. It truly shows that Nicodemus may be, you know, turning the corner a little more than we may have already been shown. He understands something, something's up here, something's going on. And sure, he's a Pharisee, but he's trying to understand and maybe open his mind. And, and that's what he's trying to tell Shmuel here indirectly. So he doesn't also become a heretic. Yeah. This was a really interesting debate too, because, uh, so I like the idea he's letting him kind of make his decision. A good teacher doesn't just tell people what to think. So you're right. We see that. I like that we've got this debate between like sticking with the old idea. And it's almost like tradition versus innovation. And Nicodemus is arguing for both. But Shmuel is really stuck on that initial interpretation. That whole debate's interesting. Plus, we're back to that thing, like two people with the same information coming to different ideas. I found that scene incredibly interesting, just based on kind of what you said there, Nathan. I mean, a lot of the stuff is up to interpretation. And so what Nicodemus believed was the interpretation before is like a whole of his students actually were taking that particular interpretation. What you see now is Nicodemus is starting to want to change his learning. And so two people can read the same thing and come up with two different conclusions. I mean, that's pretty much mm -hmm. the basis of modern day Christianity, right? I mean, they come up with all these traditions, and these rules that necessarily are not that clear in the scripture to justify that. So doing it. So I don't know why I just find that real interesting. I thought it was real kind of enlightening a little bit, kind of, you know, this over academic as far as, you know, he's, you know, still feeling the way he does, but then it, it means just kind of also picking and chooses the scripture too, to kind of justify different views i mean this whole discussion that he had with, with um god walking or not and then smeal kind of pulls up these other verses to kind of justify that and, you know nicodemus is really well it doesn't really justify your view either we really don't know be realistic about it oh i loved what they said to shmuel the first time because they said quoting solomon is not justification like that's not a reason i thought that was interesting the idea there is just because you're quoting scripture doesn't mean like you actually have an excuse and like what does that mean i mean I, I assume it's like there's context and you can't just get away with quoting a scripture and be off the hook you know really explain yourself type of thing it's just a little arrogance there if you look at him what's the guy's name smeal or smell well i can just help general there's a little arrogance there which kind of goes back to modern day christianity as well 
I'm right, you're wrong. I'm not going to have this debate about you. This is how it is. And if you look at even real quick, turns Jesus in based on that. So I think that's kind of, it's interesting when you look at some of these same topics and some of these same things that kind of happen today is what happened back then. I mean, it's kind of, our religion is better than yours. So I got to do everything I can to stomp yours out because you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm right. And I think that's what the Pharisees kind of were doing. Yeah. You look at the Christians, I think ones that were persecuted, the persecutors, the ones being persecuted are actually turned into the ones doing the persecution now in modern times. Mm-hmm. So the switched a little bit. Yeah, I'm fascinated with that from a psychology standpoint, because like, you know, I'm I work in a church. I'm a Christian, but I have been well, not at my current church, but previously I've been on the receiving end of like somebody telling me that, you know, you're I, I'm right. You're wrong thing on a number of situations. View of divorce. Uh, actually, the, the one that I really got a lot of heat over was how old I think the earth is. <laughs> and I'm asking, why is this person beating on me? Like, this isn't this isn't a hill to die on. But I mean, I had a volunteer quit because a kid asked me a question once about age of the earth or something. I told him it wasn't an essential belief. And I had an adult volunteer get ticked and quit and basically never like continue going to the church, but like pretend I didn't exist and like never talk to me again. <laughs> So, so I'm always interested in the psychology behind this kind of thing. Uh, I, I know everybody's not like that, you know, but man, they, they sure give us a bad name <laughs> when they do. I would like to put a pin in understanding that story for later. Okay. I, I, I really would like to hear that. That's okay. interesting. The, the yeah. age of the earth thing? Yeah. So what's that tolerance? They think that was serious here in Kansas. Well, John, this is this is your favorite character here. What do you think about this scene? I thought the one takeaway or one of the lines that stood out to me the most was when he said that our understanding will never be complete. I thought that was kind of a pivotal moment in the whole interaction there. And the whole time, again, it wasn't, he was approaching it as a teacher, as more of a, almost like a parent instructing a child uh, type of, uh, interaction. It, it wasn't a, no, you're wrong. This is how you need to think. Um, it was like, well, no, let's think about it this way. Does this make sense to you? But I, I did really like that that one line. That was good. It kind of referenced it somewhere. If you don't keep learning, you're going to be ignorant or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I like that line. Did you catch? He says, why can't God do something new? And then he said, uh, he referenced the Sadducees. Because they only believe the first five books of the Bible. So then you've got the Jews. They only take the Old Testament. Then you've got Christians. We take what the Old and the New Testament. Now, you can get yourself into dangerous waters. I, I know this comes down more to the scholarly stuff. But like there are new groups that have come into existence with a new book after Christianity. So... I guess it comes down to vetting those books and seeing is God really doing something new or not. I don't know. I, I just thought that's interesting. Now you, you look at all these different groups. I did like that question. Why can't God do something new? So you want to fast forward to, so we've got Nicodemus. He goes to the house where these people lower a paralyzed man down through the roof. And I, I thought it was interesting that Simon and Mary, like they were real hesitant to help them for a while. What did you think of this scene? 
I'm trying to remember the the words that were used, but they brought the paralyzed man up through the crowd, and they were saying something effective like, "We want to get them close." And Simon was like, "Well, yeah, everyone wants to be close. Everyone wants to hear, right?" We're like, "Well, no, he's paralyzed. Like, I want to help him." And then she's like, uh, "Kind of like the old meme of the hold my beer, I got this, right?" Takes him up to the roof and then lowers him down. A for effort on that, right? But I my roof, right? Just ripping it off. Like, Come on. Yeah, that's, that was some determination there. I feel like there's two things there that I thought was interesting. I think one, Matthew. I mean, Matthew's kind of doing things out of characteristic to actually hear this guy. I mean, he's climbing up this creaky ladder, which doesn't sound like something he would do. I mean, he even gets so distracted, he reaches in that bowl where this was kids were eating, out, washing them off and stuff. Yeah, did you see Matthew, like, dusting off the steps as he walked up that ladder? Yeah, with the little, yeah, wiping him down as he was, yep, saw that. And at the very end, are you lost? Dude, those kids are totally green screened on that roof. I got to go back and watch now. <laughs> that drove me nuts. I'm like, they're not really up there. I'm like, why would they green screen a scene like this? And I, after a while, I was like, oh, yeah, they're kids on a roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have been done better. There's no money to budget for insurance lawsuits. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Nick, how you doing on time? I'm, I mean, I'm at that time. Okay. Well, do you want to give us your final thoughts and then the rest of us can do our final thoughts. Sure. But I, I thought this episode was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I think at the end where Jesus is walking away and he kind of, his Jedi sense tingled or a spidey sense tingled. And he stops and turns around and he sees Matthew and he's like, yeah, you're going to be one of mine. And then he you know, turns and walks away. But I, I overall, we're starting to see Jesus do more. Uh, public displays you know people are starting to uh recognize him and you know this is the closest to this point that we've seen jesus come to you know the romans right so i think you know from a show standpoint it's starting to set the scene it's starting to uh, you know come to the climax of the season if we're not kind of already at that or coming on the backside of it so i i really like this episode uh again i know you guys' favorite episode is jesus in the field with kids but uh this one's still up there for me probably one of the top three I'm excited for what's coming next. I know at some point Matthew's going to get drafted into this rabble of individuals, so I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Awesome. All right, guys. I appreciate it. My apologies for dropping off. Got to go put the little one to bed. All right, man. Take care. Let's have a good one. This chapter, I think it's Mark chapter two. I can't remember. But it's pretty early in the book of Mark, this healing scene. And I always like this story. It's one of my favorites because of the trick question Jesus asks, because he says, which is harder to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove that they're really forgiven or to tell a paralyzed person to stand up and walk. So he does both. But the thing that is probably what upset the Pharisees here is if Jesus says your sins are forgiven in their view, in their religion, only God can forgive sins. So he's in their minds saying he's God and therefore he's a heretic. So now they're going to try to kill him. And that is a big provocative statement. What did you think about that scene? I think when you look at that scene, I mean, Jesus was kind of preaching a little bit. It was more relaxed. Then when the paralyzed person comes down, still somewhat relaxed, but still, but when the Pharisees pop up, it got real tense there. It was almost like an adversarial. I mean, Jesus own kind of switch. It was mm-hmm. very adversarial when it came between the two of them. I noticed, again, with the Pharisees, which, I mean, they do this stuff. 
they don't like the guy because of the way he's preaching, but since saying you're a blasphemer, they're going to yell to the Romans, he's disrupting the public you know, peace. And so, again, we got the thing with the Pharisees always, in my mind, just blatantly out lying, you know, instead of just handling stuff on their own. I kind of like that because it's starting to get serious. I think it's starting to get serious now. I'm more where Jesus is now an agitator now than he was more of a of a passive. So just kind of, mm-hmm. and I thought they actually did a good job the way you just kind of more relaxed adversarial. I thought that was actually pretty, but I haven't seen that yet. He hasn't been adversarial at all yet. Yeah. I haven't seen that at all. I agree with Jason. I, I think this episode in particular, how it ended is kind of like a tipping point where we're going from these acts being done in private to a more public setting uh, that it's very much on the radar and it's like, okay, now it's go time. And the gloves kind of come off a little bit. I personally thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, again, I thought there was a good mix of some comedy in this, whether or not it's historically accurate or not. Like, but it, it was entertaining to watch. The, the way the episode ended, it, it kind of sets it up and puts things in motion, things in gear for, okay, we're getting real about this now. It's go time. I, I can't wait until the next episode because I'm guessing there's going to be that meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus. And I'm just waiting to see how that conversation goes. How does he deal with Jesus's theology and how does it match up with his? I I don't know. I just really want to see that conversation. Plus I have my own questions about that story in the Bible. There is a debate about baptism that comes out of that chapter about whether or not you have to be like baptized to be saved and stuff. And I think in earlier in this episode, when Nicodemus says, well, what they're doing isn't the same as Old Testament cleansing. That kind of gives me a hint. I always had a hunch later that when they talk about, um, well, I'll just say this, I'll leave some mystery. I think that moment is going to come into play and into the show's interpretation of John chapter three, when that debate happens. I don't know if you care about that sort of thing, but I do. I think it's fun. Yeah, I really like how they portray Jesus here. Uh, I like him as a teacher. It was cool to see, like I said, that healing of the paralytic. The showdown between him and the religious leaders is one of my favorite moments in the Bible. So to see it on screen here and to see it done really well, I was really happy with this episode. The one thing we haven't talked about too much is the disciples' hesitancy to help people. I actually liked seeing that because I think that's something we deal with today. Like some guy comes up to you on the street, you know, do you help them? Are they safe? Are they dangerous? You know, it's something religious people struggle with is helping the poor. Maybe it's just that we don't know how to do it or something, you know, or what the best way to go about that is. But they sort of bring that into this show. Didn't necessarily give me any concrete answers on how to do that in modern times, but did you notice that in the show and did that speak to you at all? I mean, in terms of helping the poor, there were a few lines in there where Jesus is talking about the left and right hand. And one of the things I appreciated was that there was pushback where it was like, what does that even mean? How like (laughs) I have two hands, like, of course, they're going to know what they're doing because they're both run through me. I, I did like how there was a little bit more explanation to that and in terms of, no, I mean, you should do it generously without thinking to where 
you know, your left hand's not even aware that your right hand's just giving. Mm -hmm. So I like that scene, but I kind of took it a little bit different approach. I think I look at that as sometimes people will give to the poor or they'll go do meals and wheels, but then they got put on on social media because they're getting validation. Look what I'm doing. I'm so great. And so I think when you, in my mind, you're not actually helping the poor anymore. You're just doing it just to make yourself look good. Like you're a Christian. I got that scene about the left and the right hand. I, that's why I got out of that with Jesus is just help people just for the sake of helping them. You don't have to tell everybody that you're helping this person do it. That's kind of the right thing to do. Another thing is, I think, what do you guys think about this character, actor, how he plays Jesus? I like it because, again, with the showdown, like I said before, he's real serious. But then on the other side, he just kind of like when he's talking, he kind of jokes around a little bit and he's kind of, you know, a little bit more of a, I mean, I guess more of a human person. I mean, I'm not sure if Jesus really acted that way or anybody at that time frame did, but it's so different than what you'll see in a typical movie with Jesus where he's always just so strict all the time. He's just almost, you know, there's no human nature to him. He doesn't joke around. He doesn't do anything. And he's just kind of, but I think the character himself kind of looks like he's a little bit more of a, I would imagine the guy, just his personality is just a friendly guy. But like he probably jokes around. I think it's just kind of interesting. It's just different than what I've seen cast his characters. Mm-hmm. I could see that being a realistic take. I, I guess this kind of embodies how I thought maybe he would be based on those verses about him, like being a friend of sinners, you know? And I thought, you know, if people saw him that way and liked him who were not religious, there's got to be something to him in terms of compassion or, you know, he'd be enjoyable to sit down with and have a meal with or something like that. There's nothing that says he was like a funny guy or anything, but I feel like some of those nicknames and phrases, they got to come from somewhere. So I could see this being a realistic portrayal. I have this internal battle at times, more so in the past than now, but sometimes thinking God's scary. And a guy gave me this DVD to watch. It was a portrayal of Jesus from like the 70s or maybe later, but it it was on the book of Matthew, but it was quite dated. And I liked the portrayal of Jesus. It was kind of similar to this, but it was such an old film And it didn't have character development behind the disciples like this does. And so it's kind of in the same keeping, but it's really nice to see like a modern version of this that's well done. Don't you think, I always think it's interesting, you know, you said that, you know, God's scary. This whole idea of, I think that might be this early church in my mind, I think you do these things because you're afraid of God. You're going to go to hell. You can do this bad stuff instead of the other way around. You see some Jesus or God loves you. So I think in a way, you know, I kind of catch myself sometimes thinking that is I'm more doing it because I'm scared than I am, or I think than I am just because I want to do it because the person's supposed to be looking out for my best interest. That kind of makes sense to you on that. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, you're not necessarily scared of your parents per se. I mean, there's a love connection there, but I mean, I remember having football coaches. I mean, I was terrified of those guys. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, you kind of a little bit different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings up a great debate, though. The question of if you followed God out of fear, is that enough? Or, or does that miss the point? I guess is the better way to say it. Does that miss the point? I don't know. What do you think, John? I'm torn on it, to be honest, because I think the God of the Old Testament, pretty scary entity. 
<laughs> like, uh, That's why I was scared. Yeah. yeah. Like, Read that there's book, some I'm like, oh. <laughs> terrifying stuff that happens there. Mm-hmm. Uh, God of the New Testament seems totally different. So I don't know. And to get back to the question of, you know, it's kind of like, is it better to be feared than loved? Uh, it depends on what your, your goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're getting the same outcome, I don't know. This is going to be terrible for me to say. I don't know. I, I think ultimately everybody wants to be loved and it would be ideal if it were love. But if we do some things out of fear, as long as it's the right thing, is that a bad thing? I don't know. That's interesting. I, I know in some places, and I, I don't know about all places, but some places in the Bible, the word fear, it's actually like more the term respect in the original language. But I, I don't know that that covers every time that shows up. I think maybe the word fear does show up in places in the original language. But if you read your English Bible, it looks like it's telling you to be afraid of God. And I don't know that that's exactly what it meant everywhere. But yeah, like I said, maybe in some places. But yeah, I was scared. <laughs> See what the next show has. Yeah. It's going to get serious now. So I'm going to get into it. Yeah, I kind of like this one. I still kind of like the one with the kids, but I, I do like this one as well. And for some reason, just to so- it sounds kind of weird. You talk about the kids being, you know, green screened up there. It's almost like at the end of Return of the Jedi, you know, when everything's done and they kind of have was it all the dead people there sitting there watching? Yeah, almost <laughs> like they have this kid just like sitting there. No, no, they kind of they kind of incorporated him in. So no, I kind of like this one. I thought because I think we get more into some of the interesting stuff. I do too. I put this up there with me with episode four as probably my two favorites so far. I'm starting to get kind of sad because there's only two left in this season, but yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll go on to season two or maybe uh, we'll take a break, do something else or I don't know. Aren't they already out with uh, episode five on season two? I think I saw a notification about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I have not seen any of it yet, so I'm a little behind, but we're added to the list of that big list that you sent us on the email yeah. there last week. The yep. 30 different things. I was like, holy crap. I said, we just brought up one topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain what I'm thinking in more detail. We, we can talk about it. But one of those was a companion podcast. It's spiritual themes and movies. And so, I don't know. We'll see if you guys are interested or, or what we do. Yeah. Thanks for watching this one with me. So sounds like we all like this episode quite a bit. Definitely. Yeah. All right. And I'm looking forward to the, uh, the whole Nicodemus meeting next episode. I hope. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for watching. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to send us any comments or questions, contact us on Facebook under church in a brewery on Instagram or YouTube under brewery ministries, or just, Go to breweryministries.org and hit contact and send me an email. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about your questions on the show, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Church and a Brewery's review of The Chosen series. If you enjoyed this podcast, help spread the word by leaving a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store, Stitcher, or your podcast store of choice. That's why they call me Whiteheads, because of what I do to your liver.
You can contact the hosts or Church in a Brewery through the Church in a Brewery Facebook page, the Brewery Ministries Instagram page, or through our website, breweryministries.org. Send us your questions, fun comments, whatever you want. It's not enough to say hello. If you're in the Wichita, Kansas area and you want to talk about spiritual things over a craft beer, check out Church in a Brewery. We meet every Monday night inside Augustino Brewing at 7.30 p.m. But those who do the actual fishing are unholy, foul mouth, given to gambling in secret dens, and even fishing on Shabbat. The opinions shared in this podcast are the views of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Brewery Ministries Incorporated. Why must I perform? First I perform for quinters, you taught for God's the soldiers, then for, for the slum dwellers. And this, what, what sort of performance is this? All music and sound clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They're included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are